Well, as we start off today, we're going to start off in that area for the next three Sundays, four Sundays, talking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And understanding this, God is a God of patience and order. He is a God of patience and order. That's his characteristic. That's his character. He's patient. Just, just, just think for a moment. If God was not patient with you, where would you be? And whenever God works, he functions in order. God works is performed with patience and order. And we're going to see that in the verse that we're going to somewhat tear apart today. In Galatians 4.4. 4. For God is not a God of disorder. And we need to understand that principle. Whenever there's disorder or confusion, God is not in the midst. But where there is peace and order, God is right there. And God's never in a hurry. God's never in a hurry. God has all the time, as we would say, in the world. He's never in a hurry. And we need to understand that also about our God. For in the scripture today, we will see the God of history, the sovereign God, who laid the foundations of this world. That he himself appointed a day in which his son would come. He didn't put a, a, a year, a month, or a day on it. But he promised that his son would come. Now, just take that for a moment and put it with the second coming of Christ. No man knoweth the day or the hour. But what we do know is this. God has promised. And what we need to recognize from Genesis 3, 15, to Matthew 2, 11, that here is God from the time he makes the promise of Christ's coming until we see it in Matthew 2 take place, that God is a God who keeps his word. He keeps his word. He keeps his word. And we need to recognize that God was patient with man. The Lord himself tells us in Peter, the Lord is not slow. And sometimes we think God is slow to act. And sometimes we want to rush him along. We want him to straighten it out when? Right now. We want him to take care of this thing when? Right now. We want God to act right now. Oh Lord, I prayed. And the scripture simply says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. As some understand slowness, he is patient. Boy. God is patient. God's working with the person's heart. God's working on the person. 
You may not see what you want to see, but God's at work. And sometime, what has taken place in somebody's life for 10, 15, 20 years is not very quickly just turned. When a person's been hurt, or someone's been tricked and deceived and lost trust, or somebody's had a very painful experience in life, they don't just quickly drop that. And God understands that. God understands us. And it takes His working. It takes Him building our confidence. It takes Him removing the pain. It takes Him giving us wise counsel along the way to reverse all that junk we've heard earlier. And He has to counsel us through it. And somebody else is back there saying, well, I told you, see, you all just do it. It doesn't happen that way. And God is patient with us. And he says, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, because that's what's really at stake here. What's really at stake is this person's confidence that they themselves Grow in the Lord and have confidence in God. Not in man, but in God. And that takes a developing time. Where people then can say, hey, I know what I believe. I know who I believe in. I'm persuaded that my God is able. May not look like he's doing anything, but I know he's going to do it because I'm persuaded. I have confidence. I know my God. See, that's learn a relationship. That's learning Him. That's getting to know Him. You can count on Him. You can trust Him. And, and see, that trust and counting, all that takes time to what? Build up. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And it says, God then, while all that's going on, God's patient with us. God's patient with us. And that verse is true. God will never put more upon us than what we can bear. And God knows how much to ask of you. God knows which areas to go into your life and begin to. He knows how much you can bear. Even a wise surgeon knows if you're ready for surgery or not. A surgeon will tell your body's not ready for this. We need to do this. We need to do that. We need to get you ready for surgery. Well, when God gets ready to do his surgery... God knows us. He knows he has to do a little cut. Can't do a deep cut. He knows what he's working at. And he says, he's patient. He's patient that none of us would perish. He's patient with us. Then he says, in the last days he spoke to us. Oh, by his son. He spoke to us. By his sons. In the last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. God wants to be involved in our lives. God wants to speak to us. We need to train our ears to hear him. We need to train our consciousness to know and to understand when God is speaking. And we need to respond to him. 
Because he says, boy, in these last days, these last days, from the time of Christ, we've been living in the last days. And the whole process that in these last days spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. He made the universe. Now we need to understand, God in a point in history, Changed history. And how did he change history? He allowed his son to come. And all now, I don't care where you go, in every language, Jesus is spoken. Jesus is spoken. From his birth to the present day, whether believed upon or denied, Jesus is spoken. Jesus is argued about. Jesus is talked about. Somehow he has captured center stage because God brought him on the stage. He is still the question. He is still what people argue about. He is still talked about more in more languages than any other subject. Jesus. Jesus. Whether we're talking if Jesus was a great prophet or if he, Jesus was really God. Did Jesus ever exist or is Jesus just a myth? He's talked about. He's talked about. Now, God said he set a time. He set a time for Jesus to come. And he states it in this manner in Galatians 4. Let's go there. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. We're going to look at other verses, but this is our main verse. And we're going to take each one of these little sections and we're going to like tear them apart a little bit and talk about them. He says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God sent his son. But he says, in the fullness of time, whatever had to happen before Jesus was sent, took place. Whatever man had to go through, God was patient. Even though God gave the promise back in Genesis, hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus was ever born, God allowed man to do whatever man was trying to do. But one thing that man proved to himself, even up to the point of Jesus, man could not save himself. All that man saw that came forth from man was wickedness and evil. Take the Babylonian Empire. Take a real good look at it. Take the Egyptian Empire. Take the Persian Empire. Take the Roman Empire. Take them all. And all you'll see is the greed of man and man misusing authority. So whatever it was that God was waiting for, God allowed man to experience it for himself. And then when God was full, because it says in the fullness of time, and that word there means to be complete, that it was completed now. Nothing else man could really do. No new thing under the sun, as Solomon said. There was nothing. It was complete. It was 
are full. And that old saying that we say, boy, I'm fed up with this. I'm full. God said, I'm fed up. Popeye used to say, I can't stand no more. And the whole process is down. God's going to act. God's going to act. Because God had come to a place now where he could not stand the wickedness and the evil and the corruption of people. God could stand no more. And the number one issue here is this. God is always responsible for truth. For he is truth. And God is always responsible for his word. For when his word is not going forth unto the people, God himself takes it upon himself then to speak. And it says in that Hebrew that he sent his son. And his son came with a message from his father. He sent him because the fullness of time had come. And it came to a place, even when you read in Isaiah and you read in Ezekiel and you read in different places, Jeremiah, even the priests were not even speaking the word of God. He said they had become worthless watchdogs. They couldn't even bark. And the only thing that they were concerned about was themselves. Now we've got to be careful today in that area of pastors that our concern is not about who? Ourselves. We've got to be very concerned that we do not become like watchdogs that cannot bark, who cannot warn the people of God of the time in which they're living and what God demands of them. We've got to be very careful to make sure that the Word of God is the main thing at church. It's nice to have the singing, nice to have choirs, nice to have men's groups, nice to have different uh, auxiliaries and so forth. But the main thing about church has to be the Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God. And we can't lose that. We can't lose that. It has to be the Word of God. Whatever happened or had to happen before Jesus would be sent happened. Fully come. It had come to its full tuition and completion. It was ordained by God a period of time from Genesis 3 all the way up to Matthew to when Jesus himself was born. Go with me to Mark 1.15. Mark one fifteen. Because see, we're the ones who have to really take note of it all. Look at what it says. The time. Sometimes just take the word and study the word time. Just take a concordance and follow the word time. God is never late. And you know, the young folks, and I, and I used to do it too, because we always heard the old folks say what? God is always on. Now, you don't really know what that means until you really do get older. God ain't never late. God's always on time. 
And guess what? When it comes time for you to go home, you won't, get, you won't be late going home. See, when I was coming up, the, the thing was, be on the front porch with no street lights cut on. When no street lights cut on, you better be on the front porch. Hey. And the whole thing was simply this here. You won't have to worry about the street lights cutting on. God won't allow you to be late for your death. You're going to be right on time. Hey. You don't have to worry about missing it, nor do you have to rush it. God already got the day, the hour, the minute. What God wants you to learn how to do is this. Live life for Him. Don't worry about death. But live life for Him. And He says, the time. The time. God always has a time. He's never late with it. He always has a time. And He says, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The time is here now for a certain action. What's the action? For you to repent. What is the thing you need to do? Believe this good news. God says, this is the time for it. Now you got to make the decision. Are you going to believe or not believe? This is the time. This is the time. You don't believe after you die. After you die comes the reality of what you believed or didn't believe. And he says, here's this time. Here's this time. Go to Ephesians. Because God sent his son at a perfect time. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 through 10. Again, using that word and we're going to look for that word time. Because it's to understand that. God is never, never late. And everything He does, He does it on time. Even in your life and my life. Sometimes we may wonder why we get all out here and we do all this here and we're running all over here and we're doing all this here. Understand something. Where God wants you to be, you'll be there and you'll be there on time. You'll be there. And you'll be there on time. Amen. The sad part about us sometimes is that we don't understand God is patient while I'm making all these detours and I'm doing all these other things. See, one, about two weeks ago, I did something I shouldn't have did. And I asked, don't y'all look at me as strange, Pastor Sin? <laughs> and I had to ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me. And then I said, Lord... Like David. Lord, I want that fellowship again. I want that fellowship. If you really know the Lord, and when you know you're out of fellowship with Him, you'll long for that and you'll want that. Hey. And, and, and God knows us sometimes. We, we take a little crook, we mow the wrong turn, or we're somewhere where we shouldn't be. But understand this. You'll be where God wants you to be at times on time in your life. It will be. In Ephesians, uh, start chapter 1, go to verse 7 with me, and we're going to come down to verse 10. He says, let me get to verse 7, got to focus these eyes. In him we have redemption, though through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that lavish on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he 
made known to us. Uh, boy, you want to underline something? You want to underline it? He made known. Because it's only God that can make his truth known to man. Man can preach it. Man can teach it. Man can tell other folks about it. But it takes God the Holy Spirit to make it known to others. And he says, and, and he made it known. And he made it known to us, the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect, look, listen to it, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. You catch that? God has a time. He works in this thing of a divine time. And he's the one at work. Oh, that's why he says, you just keep praying. Let God work. You keep praying. Let God work. You keep praying. Let God work. Don't try to rush people along, but you keep praying. You keep feeding them with the word. You keep sharing, and you let God do his work. Don't get discouraged. Don't get frustrated. God didn't call you to become frustrated. God says some will water, some will plant, some will harvest, some will do this. There's more working on that person's life than just you. But make sure you're playing your part. You're doing your part. But ultimately, who has to give the increase? God does. And God does it in his time. In his time. And God sent his son in his time. Man couldn't rush him. Man couldn't tell him, send him now. Man couldn't tell him, we need him right now. Man couldn't make it happen. God said, in the fullness of time, I sent my son. His decision, his time. Not being rushed by man. Not being rushed by man. Go to Acts chapter 7. Look at this person's life. And then tell me if God's working. You know, because the whole process, is God at work? Is God doing something? Is God doing something in your life? Is God at work in your life? Is he making things happen in your life? When you go to verse 23, it says, When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. Now, now, now look, boy, all these years now, you've been up there living in, your mansion, and all of a sudden now, you're going to get this thought to make a decision to go down in the ghetto and visit your brothers and sisters. You've been living high on the hog. You've been dressing up in these fine clothes. And now all of a sudden, you're going to go down here with these common laborers. You're going to go down to Mick in the mire, in the dirt, and you're going to visit them. Was that Moses or was that God? Did God want him to see something? And Moses was able to see how his brethren were being treated by the Egyptians. God opened his eyes that day to see that it aroused Moses so much that it caused him to take an action. But God had that day planned. God had that day planned. God's timing to work on Moses' heart. God's timing. From the time Moses was put into the river. God's timing. 
And all up to this point, God's time. People understand this. God has a time for you. God has a time for you. And he says, come on down into verse 30 now. Now, remember, he's 40 years old when he goes to visit and see what's happening to his brethren. Now listen in verse 30. After 40 years have passed, so, so Moses is how old now? Some of us got a few more years, don't we? <laughs> and it says, after 40 years have passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. An angel appeared. You think God appointed that time? Yeah. You think God got Moses from Egypt out there to where he wanted to meet him at? And the angel appeared to him and spoke to him. God had a time. And God even said, 40 years later, this is what happened. 40 years, this. God knows your birthday. God knows everything about you. God has set certain times for you. Now, this is what you don't want to miss. Your time. Your time. Your time. Have you ever been scheduled for an interview and you didn't make it? And you get there an hour later or two hours later and the gentleman tells you, well, we already hired in that spot. We already filled that spot. But if you would have been here, you missed your what? Your time. You ever been out here trying to catch a bus even though the bus is running a half hour late? If you're not right there, on time, you may wait for the bus, but will the bus wait for you? No. No. You don't want to miss your time. Hey. And understand this. God will only allow you to miss time with him just so long. Don't think that God desperately needs you. But you need to understand, you desperately need God. And he says, boy, with Moses, here's that time, here's that time. It gives us a picture to understand our God a little bit better. That when he says, in the fullness of time, he sent his son. Because God works in this thing of time, a godly time. Not an earthly time, but a godly time. And he won't miss it. He won't miss it. He won't miss it. Now, God sent his son. We need to understand that. It talks about here, Christ's pre-existence even. It didn't say, boy, that he was going to create somebody to sin. He said he was going to send his son. His son is already existing. He's God with them. This is planned before the foundations of the earth that Christ would be sent by the Father. But it would only be at a certain appointed time that God himself had ordained. It states his preexistence as well as his divine nature because he's already there with God. It states his plan of incarnation that God himself would robe himself in human flesh. It reveals part of God's plan, that God has a time 
that he would send his son, that God is focusing on time. When is the right time? When is this thing ready that man will receive? That man will recognize him. And more than that, it shows that God wants to be involved. God wants to participate with us. So much that even in our filth and our my clay, that God himself robes himself in godly flesh and steps down here. Why did I say godly flesh? Because he knew no sin. We need to separate that from, because he had a human body, was in flesh, it was not sinful. He knew no sin. He knew no sin. But he robed himself in it. And it says he sent his son. Why? He sent his son to show us his love. To show us his love. And oftentimes we miss that. That God really does love us. Yes, we all know John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave. But you can't give unless you send something. There are a lot of you are going to receive a package through the mail, but somebody had to do what? Send it. They had to send it. And by sending it, even as a gift, boy, they're acknowledging that they love you. They're thinking about you. They care for you. And that's what's happening here. When God says that he sent his son, what he's saying, boy, you're on my heart. You're on my mind. I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about your well-being. And I'm sending somebody who can rescue you, who can redeem you, who can help you, who will be a comfort to you. I'm sending something that you have need of. That you have need of. My son. My son. I'm sending him. And Romans 5, 8, boy, he shows his love in that area. That even while he's dying yet, he loves us. He loves us. He loves us. He sent his son to redeem us from our sin. Not that we would be the servant of him, but he would be the servant to us. That he might redeem us. That he might redeem us. Go with me to Romans 8, 3. Romans 8, 3. It says, For what the law was powerless to do, and what it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful man. There it is again. God sent his Son in whose likeness? In the likeness of sinful man. But never stating his son was sinful, but in the flesh of sinful man. God sends him. God sends him. Stay with me for a few moments here. So we're going somewhere with this. That God sends him. Go to Hebrews 2.14. The thing that we want to recognize here also, that God does send him. And, and, and we need to take closer look at that whole process that God sends him. God sends him. And he has a divine purpose in sending him. So in 2.14 he said, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their what? Humanity. He too shared in their humanity. 
We're going to talk about that a little bit further. But that humanity is a reality. Now, on the other hand, he can never cease for being God. When you look at Scripture, and you take a close look at Scripture, the only time in which Jesus really uses his divine power was never for a benefit to himself. It was always for a benefit to who? To man. Never for himself. When he was on the cross, could he have sent for 10,000 angels? Yes. When he was on the cross, could he have made every knee bow and every tongue confess right then? Yes. When he was hungry and being tempted by Satan, could he have had a buffet? Yes. He never used his divine powers to benefit himself. Nor could he deny his divine powers. Remember when it says in Scripture, he knows what's in every man's heart. And then he would say even of the Pharisees, why would you even have that thought? Why would you even think this way? The God who knows all cannot deny that he knows all. But he never used it for his own benefit. But always as a blessing to us. Always as an area of serving us. Whether he's healing the leopards, healing the blind, healing the cripple, whatever he's doing. Whether if he's feeding, it's always for us. Not for himself. Whenever he steps out of his humanness and use his divine power in a sense. It's never for himself. It's always for us. He reveals his willingness to participate with us and we need to be oh so mindful of that. That when he said he sent his son God wants to be involved with us. God wants to walk with us. God wants to talk with us. That's what's happening in Genesis 3.8. That he would come in the cool of the day and walk and talk with who? Adam. And he, he would be there. He wants to do that with us constantly. He wants to do that. That whole process is that God is there. And he does want to deal with us. Now, the second part, is the third part of that verse is this here. First part was in the fullness of time. God deals with time. God has all the time in the world. It's you and I that don't have all the time. We think we do. For none of us know if this would be the day that we're going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. We don't know. So our time is limited, but God's time is not. He sent his son. And he sent his son with a message for us that he loves us. And then he comes to that point where he's born of a woman. Why would he put that in Galatians? Because it's not really important per se in the text in which it's in. But it's for us to identify something. What God has said, God will do. If you go in the scripture, majority of the time, you will discover it's always the Father and his lineage. It's always talking about the man and his lineage. 
But here it says, born of a woman because a man was not involved. And then it upholds what Scripture itself states and says to us. Go to Numbers with me. Numbers 23, 19. Just to establish this. Is God a liar? No. No. God speaks truth. And then when he speaks it, he also performs it. He does it. And we need to recognize that. That it says, the second part of that verse. Boy. See, I'm sorry. Go up to verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie. So scripture is telling us right God doesn't what? God doesn't lie. Nor a son of man that he should change his what? His mind. Boy, all down through the ages. He didn't change his mind and say, boy, we're going to do this another way. Remember when Jesus is praying in the garden? Father, there be some other way. God, change your mind here. This is going to be a little painful. This is going to be uncomfortable. This is going to be hurtful. This is going to be embarrassing. Just think, Father, your son, God, is hanging on a cross, beating and spitting on one. Lord, this is going to be embarrassing for me. Can't there be another way? God doesn't change his mind. This was ordained from the foundations of the earth that Christ would come and die for us. And then God said, Boy, it would be by a woman. Is God a liar? No. Does he change his mind? No. You need to know that about you. When God speaks into your life and God says something to you and you hang on to his word, God will bring his word to pass. God is not a liar. God has said it. God will do it. And you need to trust him in it. And he simply says, Boy, God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Now go to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Hang on to that. Did God promise that it would be of a virgin, of a young lady, of a girl that Christ would come That this woman would bring forth this child? Did God promise that? Did God speak it? Did God say it? Go over to Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. He says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. God's fulfilling his word. God's fulfilling how Jesus will come. If he's going to send him, he has a vehicle in which he's going to bring him into this life. Through the woman. Now, when you move on a little bit further, you can read Luke one thirty four for yourself. But born under the law. I want you to catch this with me. Oftentimes, and the scripture is mainly pointing at the law of Moses. But understand this also. Jesus was born under what we would call general law. General law. Ken, come here a moment. I want you to describe what me and Ken, what we're doing. 
it's essential that we both do it. What are we doing? We're doing something. We're standing. But, it, but is standing essential to us? What are we? Somebody said it. Breathing. General law. Whether we are believers or unbelievers, we both have to breathe to do what? To live, to stand, to do. Thanks, kid. And that's the general law. That we all have to do. That is applied to both unbeliever and believer. We both have to breathe. Another general law. From the time I'm born and come out of my mother's womb, I have to eat. That's general law. If I'm going to really survive. Another general law. That I have no control of. That the moment I'm born, I'm not going to stay the same size. I'm going to grow. You know? And that's why it says in Scripture that Christ grew. He grew. Not just in wisdom and favor with man, but he also what? You check, check that word. He grew up. So we see him as a baby. Then we see him around 12 or 13 in the temple. Then we don't see him again until he's 30 years old, per se. But in that whole process, nowhere did he stay the what? The same. That's the general law that he was under. Other general laws. He had to eat. He knew what it was to get cold. He knew what it was to feel pain. He knew these things. Why? Those were all general laws about the humanness. And then comes the law of Moses. That he also obligated himself to and put himself under. So he says that he was born under the law, not just Mosaic law, but law. Now here comes the real unique part about this. See God in keeping himself within the law frame of what he himself now has defined as how man will come into this world. He just didn't zap Jesus in at 30 years old and say, start ministry. He brought him in as a child. Why? God had ordained that life would come from the womb of a woman. He did not make Jesus as he did with Adam, where he breathed in a breath of life. Why? Jesus already had life. Didn't have to breathe life into him. Jesus didn't be all of a sudden become a living being. He was already living. Because he took on flesh, he came under these laws of man. These general laws. And he was not created like Adam was. Adam was created. Jesus was not created. And that's the whole argument sometimes with Jehovah Witnesses, because they want to say that Jesus was created at some point. Jesus was never created. He always existed. 
always existed. Always existed. And Jesus was placed under the obligation of both laws. So when you go to Luke 2.21, go there with me for a moment. Luke 2.21. And it tells us just a little bit about him. I'm sorry, is that 52? Go, go to Luke 21, would be the circumcision. But go, go to, yeah, let's go to 21, 2, 21 first. On the eighth day, when it was time to, cruise, to circumcise him, he was named Jesus. The name the angels had given him before he had been conceived. On the eighth day, when it was time to what? underline the word time again because we're back to time because God is the one who set the law that by the eighth day a male child should be what? Circumcised. So here is, Mo, here is Jesus, mom and dad, operating under what? The Mosaic law. Under the Mosaic law. And then when you follow scripture, you'll find that Jesus was also find the Mosaic law and going to the holidays. He would get to the temple on those holidays and he would celebrate the Jewish holidays. Why? Part of the law. He put himself under the law. Here is the king of kings putting himself under his own law structure. Here's the king of kings putting himself under that general law of man. You think Jesus ever sweat? If he worked, he sweat. Just like you and I do. You know? Did he get thirsty? Yes. He said, I, I thirst. He did get thirsty. Did he know the pain of every lash that went across his back? He knew it. He knew it. And when you look at Leviticus 12.3, it says, boy, the law is instated. That it takes place that a male child should be circumcised by the eighth day. Now go to Luke 2.52. Here is the general law at, at work in a sense. It says, and Jesus grew naturally. As we grow naturally, we also grow in knowledge. We should be growing in wisdom also. But we're growing naturally. And it said, he grew. He's no longer that baby in the manger. He's 12, 13 years old now. He's in there talking with those in the temple. And he grew. And then 30 years later, we see him coming out to be baptized by John. And starting his ministry. But he, he's growing under the general law all these days. He's growing by keeping the Mosaic law all these days. Here is the God of God that submits himself to law that he himself declared unto man that no life will ever take place outside of coming from the mother's womb. So he sends his son through a woman 
keeping in the confinements of his own law. That no life would come unless it comes through the womb. So he picks this woman by the name of Mary to only be the vessel in which he would come through and clothe himself in his human likeness. And he says, boy, in the fullness of time, I sent my son, born of a woman, born under the law. Verse 5 starts, the reason to redeem. But in Galatians 4, there's so much in there. There's so much in there. God working in his time, you're not going to rush him. Always remember, God will send you what you have need of. He will send you what you have need of. And always remember, God will do the miraculous. Because what took place in Mary's life was miraculous. And he will do that in your life. But always remember this as God's people. Because God is a God of order. He sits in law. And he won't even break his own law. And if he won't break his law, who are we to break it? That we learn to function within his law, within his word. Why? That's how he functioned. Didn't he say it? Didn't I do it? He keeps his word. He keeps his promise. And we need to be able to rely on God's word. He's not a liar. He'll always keep his word. Amen? Amen. Father, how we thank you and praise you, Lord. For your word, and especially for Galatians 4.4 today. There is so much in there that's packed in there. We can't even begin to understand that you work on your time, your timetable. And you've even told us, Lord, that no man knoweth the hour that you're going to return. Nobody even knows the day that you're going to return. And you even told your disciples about your death. It was not time yet. But Lord, when it became time, Calvary was there. And Lord, you only went in the grave for three days, time. And you came forth. God is always working in this thing called time. He will always send you what you have need of in a very miraculous way. But he'll never break his word for you or for himself. For he is bound by his word to function within the boundaries of his word. And we as his people, we are bound to function within the limitations of his word. 